Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Dash American, where we bring people from all different kinds of cultural backgrounds and people who have different relationships with their cultural backgrounds to come together and share their stories. My name is Hubert Silva, and today we're talking to the founder of the Gaijin Project, Maya Reddy. We're here to talk about the birth of the Gaijin Project and the experience of creating a platform for representation and resources of what I believe is a very intersectional forward organization. Uh, so Maya, why don't you just introduce yourself? Yeah, hi, um, I'm Maya. Um, I'm a queer South Asian, I like to say a American-born queer confused Daisy. Um, <laughs> I do she and her pronouns. Um, I'm from California, born and raised in Northern California in a super tiny town called Redding. Um, and then I went to school um, down a little east of LA um, and now I'm in San Diego. So I just really haven't left California, just kind of traversing, <laughs> traversing the state. Um, but yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, well, we know we're going to see you in August in, uh, where are you going again? Something with a P. Philly. Philly. Something is just. So on the Gaijin Project website, you say this project was born out of a somewhat selfish desire to find a community and a place of belonging as a queer Asian. Uh, where did you find yourself? in the Asian or queer community before, you know, before the birth and before the inspiration of the Gaijin project? Uh, nowhere. Um, for, for me, when I was like, I will always identified as being Indian and being Asian, like that just always made sense to me. But when I went to go into, especially in college, when I was like trying to go into Asian groups or spaces, um, these Asian spaces, always tended to be East Asian dominated. Um, mm. And it always felt like I didn't have any space there. Like it was, I had to keep proving my Asian-ness to belong in the space. Um, like in undergrad, we had this group called APAM, um, which was like the Asian Pacific American Mentoring Club. And so essentially what we did, it was like under or upperclassmen that were mentoring the incoming freshmen who identified as Asian, um, just kind of like helping them adjust to life uh, in college. And I mean, like I loved being a part of that, but I remember it being, I remember having a lot of tension between the fact that like the majority of my other co-mentors were Eastern Asian and I was one of two South Asian mentors and like the fact that the majority of our events like the food-based events were like going to Korean barbecue or going to like a Japanese restaurant which like <coughs> I love all of that but it was this it just felt like my South you know being South Asian wasn't Asian like it wasn't the Asian that was supposed to be a part of this group and so that has always been really frustrating because as much as I wanted to be like, no, fuck this. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Am I like a lot? I just like let it loose. Um, <laughs> but um, as much as I just really wanted to like dismantle that and be like, no, like I'm here, I'm Asian, like I'm going to be in that space. I still felt like uncomfortable in it. Mm -hmm. um, and then when it came to like being queer, um, I don't know, I'm, I always joke about how like I'm very Americanized. Um, and so like, I mean, my joke is that I'm a queer white woman of color. Um, so like, I, I never found myself kind of like alienated from white queer spaces. 
but it was when I like kind of got out of college right and like I was by myself kind of like navigating what it is to be a baby adult where um where I was just like I need to find people that understand what it's like to be queer and Asian like and to be a person of color and like yeah like I love my queer white friends but they don't understand like not only like the weird racism that comes with being like a person of color but like something as simple as like desirability politics like the fact that mm. i'll go out with my you know queer white friends and they're instantly getting hit on by people and i'm still like kind of there being like i too am horny and want to make out with somebody <laughs> but like you know i it, it's harder and it's it's weird to explain that to people um, so I, I just didn't, and then when I like tried to be, um, you know, gravitate more towards queer POC spaces, um, it felt that those POC spaces were mostly dominated and for, um, Black and Latinx folks. And I think that's amazing. Um, and those spaces should absolutely exist. Um, but because of like aspects of the model minority assumption for Asians, it, it just didn't feel like I belonged there. And it felt like that I was taking up space from those folks, which I hated that. I was like, I don't want to be in here taking away your space. I'm here to support you. And I want you to have this space. And also I'm just trying to figure out where I belong to. Um, so yeah, I like, I didn't know. It was like a, a frantic hunt to try to figure out like where my specific space was and that kind of, that frustration of trying to be like, I, I just want to find somebody to be able to relate to about like the queer Asian experience um, led me to being like, all right, screw it. Like, I want to create that space. Like, how can we create this space that celebrates the fact that the queer Asian experience looks like so many different things and that all of those things are equally as wonderful and valid. Um, and, and allowing to build community from that space. Um, so yeah, it was me just trying to find a space for myself. So I was like, I'm, damn it, I'm gonna create it. I remember finding the Gaijin Project even uh, way before we met. I was just like scouring Instagram and I found it. And then months later, Jerry was like, oh, meet Maya. And I was like, oh, yes, I know about this. <laughs> Um, but from what you were just saying, one word that really resonated with me that I really liked is um, you use the word like the, the dismantlement. And I think what you're doing is really great. And you're using your energy instead of like being angry and dismantling these spaces, whether it is for queer, whether it is for, uh, for white queers or for color, uh, POC, queer individuals, um, just to put your energy into creating a new space is actually really awesome. And like I really... When I first found out what you were doing, I was like, this is amazing, like, Gaijin, I've been called that before, but I never have seen it in such a positive light. Um, one of the things I said in the intro was uh, resources. You have this whole section on the Gaijin Project website for mental health. And I believe that's a topic that has only recently been more uh, openly talked about in the POC community, considering um, sort of cultural background of, you know, people of color and their relationship to mental health. Um, was curious what your opinion on is like, where do you believe sort of the queer and Asian community exists in mental health spheres? Cause I feel like it's not talked about a lot. Um, I think that mental health 
like support and talking about it is just so, so fucking important. Um, it took me a really, really long time to like go to therapy. Um, and it was actually because um, a partner of mine like was studying to become a therapist. Um, and like through them, um, I, I, it, they kind of like gave me the language to be able to you know, seek out therapy for myself, um, along with some other of my friends, like they just really kind of created this um, supportive space and this language for me to be like, no, this is, you know, there's nothing wrong with me. You know, it's not bad, essentially, to seek help. Um, and I, that's something that I'm still like, so incredibly grateful, um, because I am dealing with, uh, I deal with some PTSD, um, and depression and anxiety and, you know, like trying to deal with those things by yourself on top of the fact, um, that you're like a marginalized person, like living in these two intersections, a queer person and a person of color. It's so much for you to be able to handle in like one breath by yourself. And yeah. Like, thinking back, like, this was just only, like, four years ago that I started going to therapy, and, like, thinking about myself, you know, from then to now, um, back then I was really, really angry. Like, I was angry at everything. Like, I was, when I was trying, I, like, refused to seek help, um, you know, I didn't want to ask for help from my friends. When I was asking for help from my friends, it was kind of this expectation of them, you know, um, to fix things or even with my partners to be like, I want you to fix this for me. And that's like just such incredibly toxic behavior. Um, and I'm so grateful that I did go to, I mean like all of this is to say that like therapy is something that's so important to me like every week um, and it, it helps me so much. And it, it's just by virtue of being able to go into a room where there's this like objective third party whose only job is to literally listen to you right like you know you can tell them anything you can just talk to them um that takes such a burden off of your shoulders to be able to talk to a person like that but then <laughs> on the flip side of that it's really really hard to find a good therapist like um and especially for you know poc clients like trying to find a therapist that um, you know, understands or is willing to understand the fact that like the POC experience is completely different um, from a white experience is really, really hard. Like, I fucking love my therapist right now. And um, she's a white woman who does a lot of work um, to understand queer spaces and, you know, POC uh, experiences. And she gives me a lot of space to just exist. And I think that's really incredible. But I've also had um, a therapist before who <laughs> once told me when I was like filling out the form of like things that I want to work on. Um, I was really, really, I have been, um, you know, struggling with what my Indianness is to me, um, especially because I don't speak the language. I was like trying to figure that out. And um, she just said she's this white woman and she was like, yeah, like I, I totally get that. My husband's Indian. And I was like, yeah, oh, no. No. Oh, no. <laughs> Incorrect answer. <laughs> answer. I've heard true horror stories about how hard it is to find 
you know, a good therapist. And I specifically sought out a POC therapist. And first time ever, first therapist ever. And he's like fucking amazing. Oh, that's so amazing. I, let me talk about how angry I am at everyone. <laughs> yeah. No, it's so, it's so real. Cause it's like, you have to date it, You're like dating therapists. I remember though, the reason it took me forever was cause I literally had that, you know, sitcom mentality of, oh, therapist is only for white people. Yeah. I still remember the one time I told my mom, I was like, hey, I'm going to start trying to look for a therapist. And just in case it shows off, shows up in like the insurance, she literally goes, therapy? Like, why? I was like, for my anxiety and, and you know, whatever else I'm dealing with. She goes, you know, you can just, just take a deep breath. <laughs> yeah. That's not how that works. Dude, my parents do that all the time. My parents have like, they've seen me at like they know that therapy is super important and like god bless them they they try their hardest to like understand it but i'll my mom will do stuff like that she'll be like oh you're you're anxious just like don't worry like that's i'm just like (laughs) (laughs) yes how it works okay yes Yes, thank you no but i i think that like having a therapist well like two things it's insane that mental health, like the barrier to entry for mental health is like so, you know, like cost restrictive, right? Like mm-hmm. it's really, really expensive. And so it's really hard for a lot of queer and POC people to be able to afford mental health help. Excellent. I also think that like the fact that, you know, it's so, um, yeah, like it's stigmatized to where it's like people think that they need, there needs to be something wrong with them to seek help um it it creates this like weird weird thing where you're like oh no no i'm not broken or like this fear of being labeled as broken if you go to therapy when like honestly it's just it everybody should be in therapy it's like something Mm -hmm. that is you know mental health is as important if not i mean it's definitely more important than physical health because like the two like work in tandem like if you're not you know like the psychosomatic thing like uh i've had I mean, this is an example. I've like got diagnosed with, this is a very tame example. I'm not equating this to like anything <laughs> else. Um, but I recently was diagnosed with psoriasis. Wow. I've had this like insane flare up recently because I'm in a depressive state. And like when I went to the dermatologist, he was like, so what's up with you? And I was like, well, I'm in a depressive state. He was like, ah, that's, that's probably, you know, why your flare up is so bad right now. And And I think about that a lot because it's like, I, you know, like I have a lot of tools right now to deal, you know, to help with my mental health, yet it's still so hard to like keep the physical stuff in check. And so for Mm -hmm. folks that don't have the resources to, you know, like, and the tools to deal with their mental health and to to keep that, you know, good in check, Mm -hmm. I'm losing my words, Um, you know, like that the physical stuff, there's a potential for it to be in the psychosomatic to be much worse. Um, and I mean, like, it's just so, so important. And then, like I was saying, it's like when you're living at an intersection of marginalized identities, the, in a white world, right, it's, you have a lot of weight on your shoulder, a lot of expectations, a lot of Mm -hmm. things that you, that people are saying that you can't do, like, all the time. And if you, and that can create, like, a lot of anger. Like, I mean, I, 
get angry a lot. And if that, ang if you don't know how to deal with that anger or if it kind of, you don't have the tools to funnel it or to mitigate it in some ways, then it can be so like toxic and dangerous for yourself, let alone any other person. Um, and also, I mean, like I talked a little bit about how, um, you know, I was seeking help from my partners, um, which is so unfair because, you know, you sh it shouldn't be the burden of your friends, even if they are people that love you dearly. Like, mm -hmm. it shouldn't be their burden to help you out in this, like, very intimate way. And that can mm -hmm. lead to, like, a lot of toxic relationships, which sucks. <laughs> I know, like, I've gone through, like, so many of those. Um, and, I mean, I think that just having that mental health support and, and being able to talk about it and talk about what you're feeling and talk about your emotions just really like helps us be better people all around and able to, I mean, like, I don't think that it is a cure for everything. Like I obviously don't think that there's a cure for depression or like anxiety or anything, but um, I think it gives you the tools to be able to manage it so that the, the effects um, are less, I guess, damaging or disrupting to your life um and you're able to weather those storms when they come come through yeah that yeah that's i mean that's such great uh perspective on it i mean one of the things you said was the idea of the accessibility and well and then the idea you said about like the stigma yeah um, really rough i think in terms of the queer um community also i mean like i said like mental health and therapy has been for at least the way i see it considering my background um is something that's fairly new in terms of something that is desirable to uh seek out and so the idea of we've talked about this in the other your podcast you know there is that portrayal of the queer experience and a lot of times, and from what you were saying, you know, the queer experience is so hard until you meet someone and then everything gets better. And I think that's very something that in terms of like mental health and the t idea of toxic relationship is probably something that is experienced in the queer community a lot and not talked about. Yeah. Um, Especially because like all of the images of relationships that like anyone queer or heterosexual like grows up with in the media, like rom-coms are just toxic relationships. <laughs> like that's stalking, bro. <laughs> like uh, we're grown up, we like, we grew up with these images of what like, you know, romantic relationships are supposed to be and they're straight relationships and those straight relationships are not healthy a lot of the times, like very possessive, very toxic. Um, and so for queer folks who like are seeing that on top of the fact that it is a straight relationship, we're not seeing what a queered relationship could be yeah. like. It's like, how do we, how do we form, like we're basically starting from scratch. We have no images to, from which to pull or which to like model our lives from. And so we're all kind of like, you know, floundering around trying to figure out what our queerness looks like, what our relationships platonic and romantic look like. And when you're dealing with that um, on top of like, you know, being POC, it's hard. You're just like, you, you, having that support is just so important. Both of us 
have the Asian and queer identity. And I actually talked about it a little bit more on your podcast, but have you ever had the experience where sort of one identity took priori- priority over the other in terms of trying to take care of yourself or trying to protect yourself or having to, you know, if there was a situation where you said to yourself, wait, today I have to be a bit more Asian or be a bit more queer. I've had experiences where I kind of had to turn off one or the other to kind of exist and flourish in the world. Or in the flip side, have you always been able to have the two constantly linked and help you be like the person you are, we are becoming every day? I don't think I've ever been at a point where like, I mean, even today, I don't think that I am at a point where I'm fully embracing both of them at the, you know, simultaneously, Um, like truly fully embracing them. I feel like for me, as much as I'm really, really proud of my Asian-ness, there's a part of me that's constantly running away from it. Um, And I, it feels like I don't know, maybe it's like this internalized assimilation mentality or whatever, but um, I was talking to somebody last week who categorized like the Asian experience, no matter if you're like Asian American or Asian as, you know, being seen as a constant guest and constant alien at the same time. Like you're never um, fully of that space. You're always just, you always have to be invited in or you're an interloper. And I think for me, that idea that kind of like feeling constantly as the other or like this exotic just other, you know, no matter how many adjectives you put in front of the other, it always felt other. Um, I was trying so hard to run away from that. So I think that I have always skewed more to embracing my queer identity over my Asian identity. Um, And that's something that like, I I keep having to challenge within myself, but at the end of the day, it's always felt easier to be queer than it is to be Asian in the United States, which is, yeah, I don't, and it sounds weird coming from me, like, I don't know, especially somebody growing up in California, where like in, in my lifetime in California, it has been largely embraced Asian Americans, right? Like it is a pretty Asian heavy um, state. Uh, but I don't know. I, I always, it, it's like, I guess it's just facets of like internalized racism, wanting to like this desperate need to, um, or this desperate desire to belong and to just be seen as like, just as you know great as like the you know blonde cheerleader right like i don't want to be like different or like oh my god like i've always wanted to go to an indian wedding like i just want to exist in that space and it always felt that like even though queerness is something that others me it's like this cool acceptable otherness um right now versus like being asian still feels um, like people, non-Asians don't know how to interact with us, with our culture. Like it's, you know, no matter how well-intentioned folks are, like I will have interactions where it feels like I'm definitely being fetishized or exoticized or, you know, like somebody only wants to talk to me about like what my favorite Indian restaurant is or like, oh my God, you have an elephant God. And I don't, you know, like it it just feels... Daily interrogations, 
are more part of like the schedule of your life, like having yeah. to deal with discussions over at least in some instances being in a queer space, there's a little bit more of a quote unquote like level playing field or more of an ex acceptance aspect to that yeah. part of your It's like people understand what to do with um, some images of, you know, some parts of queerness. So like just same sex relationships. I feel like society as a whole understands a little bit more of what to do with that um mm. than what to do with asians um because i mean like this gets into a whole other conversation but i mean like eastern non-western cultures are inherently queer from western culture right and like mm. Mm. americans um or europeans like that the western mind doesn't really know how to understand the fact that like i Something as simple as like the family oriented or the community driven mindset of most Asian communities. Um, right. That's so foreign to our individualistic um, mindset in the United States. And I think simple things like that, or, you know, like the fact that we eat weird food, like quote unquote weird food, you know, like, oh, MSG is like so bad, um, you know, things like that. I feel like are harder for non-Asians to understand or to kind of comprehend or find um, an analogy in their own cultures um, mm -hmm. than like same-sex relationships where they can just be like, oh, that's a relationship like mine. Um, so yeah, so I, I think because of that, I, I tend to find myself, you know, embracing my queerness a bit more over my Asianness, um, which is weird and gross to admit I like don't like it with the future of the Gaijin project you know what kind of message from the Gaijin project you do you hope resonates or attracts more individuals to look at you guys as uh, a source for community and a source for uh resources and things like that um so I have always thought of the Gaijin project as a platform for visibility um if anything and I think the most important thing for me just like in the you know future of the Gaijin project is to keep uplifting different queer Asian experiences as well as the work that queer Asians are already doing um, in the United States and elsewhere around the world and finding ways to connect us all um, and, and try to find a way to kind of help things be a little bit less disparate and more connected um, because at the end of the day for me it's like you don't know if your community is out there if you can't see them, which is why the visibility is so, so important. Um, so yeah, I mean, like just long-term, like of the Gaijin project, I want to keep, you know, uplifting creators, um, just folks hearing different experiences and hopefully getting to the point where we can start kind of um, a nonprofit segment of the Gaijin project that can, you know um fund you know, programs for the young the new gen z uh you know queer asians and yeah. you know financially contribute to different um projects and programs that folks are doing for our community thank you maya so much for coming onto our show today and thank you to our listeners for tuning into this episode of dash american 
Uh, make sure to look up the Gaijin Project They're on Instagram under the Gaijin Project and they have a website, uh, gaijinproject.com, yeah? Yeah, Sounds good. Um, we encourage a continual discussion about culture and identity. And don't forget to share and comment on Facebook. Let us know if there are any other identity or groups you belong to that deserves to be talked about. It's your narrative and it's valid. Thank you guys. See you next time for another episode of Dash American.